This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 623 with Jen Lumenlon. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 623. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Jen Lumenlon holds a master's in psychology and child development and hosts the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, which is a reference guide for parents of children between the toddler and elementary years based on scientific research and the principles of respectful parenting. In each episode, she examines a topic related to parenting and child development from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their children. She lives in California with her husband and her daughter. This is Jen's second time on the show. She was back here in the early days, like in the 100-something episodes, and now she's back in the 600s, so 400, 500 episodes later. We are this time digging into talking about taming your triggers in parenting, which is a very timely topic as every parent I know is feeling especially spread thin and beyond exhausted after enduring the last two years. So we talk about the concept of parenting triggers, and then Joan coaches me about a trigger that is very front and center in my own parenting journey right now. So get ready to enjoy seeing or hearing me be a little uncomfortable. Listen in to hear Jen share why you're feeling triggered by your child's behavior, how your child's triggers might be connected to your little T trauma or big T traumas of your past, how your own trauma of unmet needs impacts your parenting, the magic bullet to help you manage guilt and shame in hard parenting moments. Then you get to hear Jen coach me through raising an extrovert who likes to be really loud all the time. Then she gives us scripts that you can use to navigate conversations with your child so you can both get your needs met in hard moments. Oh my goodness, these scripts were so helpful to me. She talks about the connection between our parenting and smashing the patriarchy, which was, oh my gosh, I had some big ahas, and I think you will too around this. And then we dig into the value in practicing repairing your relationships with your child after having a hard moment. 
And finally, we talk about her upcoming workshop, a 10-week series she's running called Taming Your Triggers, which I'm going to participate in, and I'm going to invite all of you to join me. So this is a great conversation. Oh my goodness. I walked away with a lot of ahas around the way Jen coached me and some ahas there, but just around so many greater cultural ideas and frameworks. So I think you're going to learn a thing or two just like I did. And I'm so grateful to Jen for coming back on the show. So with all that said, let's welcome Jen Lewinlon back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Jen, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on again. Yes. So I always get really excited to have return guests. And when you popped into my inbox and you said, hey, you might not remember me from back at like episode 150, but of course I remember you. And it's always really fun to check in with people and learn about what you're doing and how you're serving people, what your work looks like at this point. So I'm really excited to dig into this conversation. Me too. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about what you're excited about right now, the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and the direction things are heading for you. Gosh, what am I excited about? I'm actually trying to finish up the first draft of a book <laughs> on the intersection mm. of parenting and social justice. So I have a, yes, oh, it's, it. <laughs> my overall thesis is there are these challenges in the world, you know, drop some big stuff on your audience early in the episode. There's things like white supremacy <laughs> and patriarchy and capitalism that are out there and, and causing some challenges in the world. And then at the same time, parents are struggling with their children's behavior. Mm-hmm. and just trying to get through each day. And it can seem like, even though I care about these things on one hand, I'm really bogged down this other stuff on the day-to-day. And there's just no connection between the two. And my hypothesis right. is there is an intimate connection between the two mm-hmm. and that the way that we interact mm-hmm. with our children on a daily basis sets the stage for all the other stuff. So um, oh, I am writing my gosh. on that topic. <laughs> that like feels like a call to action for me as a <laughs> Because to have like high level of conscientiousness in terms of being a good citizen and being a responsible and conscientious citizen, Mm -hmm. and then like this desire to parent in a certain way so that we're raising good conscientious citizens. Like I totally hear you on that connection, that crossover and with the bridge, like we need the bridge. (laughs) The book is the bridge. So (laughs) I love it. Oh my goodness. We have to come back a third time. I know. (laughs) So what we want to talk about today is feeling triggered by our children's behavior. And I know it's funny when we connected about this and we started this conversation a week or so ago, I know for me, I immediately was like, oh yeah, definitely in a season of feeling triggered by my child. And I don't know if it's just like the age my child's at, or I'm old and tired, or it's two years into a pandemic. But can we talk a little bit about how do we feel triggered by our children's behavior? And then Also a bit about how our triggers are really showing up at this point where we're two years into this season of a pandemic and things just are really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So you started your question by saying, is it this or this or this? And my answer is yes, it's all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So yeah. Um, So sort of linking back to the idea in the book, what we often see with parents is that they start to feel triggered by their child's behavior when their child gets to approximately the age where the parent experienced something difficult in their own life. So Mm. it could have been what psychologists call a big T trauma, which is things like parent dying or addiction in the family, those kinds of things. Or psychologists use another term called little T trauma, which is things like bullying that might've happened in school or divorce that happened in the family. And then there's also what I call the trauma of unmet needs, which is just this idea of seeing that you have needs that are not necessarily being met by your family. Even if your parents were loving and kind and warm and were doing the best that they could, they may not have seen or understood your needs. And so if you went through a phase in your life where your needs were particularly not met, then what we often see is when our child gets to that phase and maybe we were punished for doing something that our child is now doing. It's like touching (laughs) a white hot nerve in there. So there's that issue. Then you mentioned, you know, getting to a certain age. And I think part of that is associated with maybe having a narrow window of tolerance where Mm -hmm. we're getting a little bit older. We might be maybe slowing down a little bit and and our child is not slowing down at all. So we're looking for a bit more quiet and a little Mm -hmm. more calm and our child is not necessarily on board with that. And so that can push us outside of our window of tolerance where the window of tolerance is the place we're able to regulate pretty well. You know, we, mm-hmm. we go up and down a little bit and we're, we have good days and bad days. And, but in general, we're fairly regulated. But when we get pushed outside that window of tolerance, we're exploding in our child. We're having really big feelings. And then of course the pandemic is just 
like this icing <laughs> on the cake, which has raised everybody's baseline stress level. So everybody's operating at a higher point within that wonder of tolerance. So, and so it doesn't take much to push us out now that we're all at this higher baseline level of stress. Oh my goodness. I feel so validated. <laughs> it's all of the things, which is great. I mean, I, I'm also now I'm like, how are we going to fix all the things, but we're going to get to that in a minute. So this is super interesting talking about how feeling triggered by our children's behavior can be connected to experiences in our lives as children and as children of those same ages. So my son is nine and a half. And I'm thinking through like, what was going on in my life at nine and a half? I never really considered that. And I consider my like bigger T trauma that happened. My only big T trauma in my childhood was my parents getting divorced, which was at age four. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to think at what was happening at nine and a half that like, there's some frustrating things going on. So can you talk about a little bit about do triggered feelings around parenting always result from trauma? Mm, yeah, often they do in, in the parents that I work with. It's not always necessarily a one-to-one correlation between mm-hmm. I experienced this as a child and now it comes mm-hmm. out in this way, or you know, I had a terrible relationship with my siblings. And so now every time my siblings fight, I have all mm-hmm. these flashbacks to how I was treated by my siblings. Yeah. Sometimes it does come out in that way. Sometimes it's more of a sort of a general, again, raising of the baseline level of just feeling like you're not able to cope baseline level of stress. And then that sort of trauma of unmet needs is really, I think, important for people who might be thinking, well, I didn't really experience any trauma. I I can't look back at my childhood and think, point to any particular instance or episode that was traumatic. And in that case, what we often see is that it just through living our lives in a society that is ruled by patriarchy, (laughs) by Mm -hmm. capitalism, by white supremacy, that our needs were not met. And so some of the ways that that come out is things like maybe I have a passion for art and it's just something that I'd love to do. And I would love to spend all day, every day doing for the rest of my life. And maybe my parent says to me in a really caring voice, you know, well, art's never going to pay the bills. So do your homework (laughs) and then you can Mm -hmm. get a real job. And so now maybe whenever I do art, I I sort of, I get this, or maybe I don't even do art anymore because I get this crushed feeling of, you know, art isn't worthy. It's not real. It's not a job. It's not anything that is actually has any value in the world because our parent was doing the best they could to prepare us for a capitalist society where we Mm -hmm. needed to earn money. And so they squashed that part of us that was really important to us. And we were not able to express that. If our parent ever said to us something like, you know, are you sure you want to eat that, honey? You're looking a bit chubby these days. Yeah. You know, white supremacy, body image culture there, right? You 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 need to be thin because our fat phobic society says, if you're carrying extra weight, then you're not as worthy a person. Right. So our parents saw that and said, I don't want that for my child. I want my child to be successful. And so I'm going to shape them now Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a way that was traumatic for us. Yeah. And then of course, all of that comes out later in life. Yeah. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. 
This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing. And they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. That diet culture piece is super relatable. And probably for anyone who had a mother in 19, between 1975 and 1995, like you're all those moms were on diets hundred percent of the time. So yes, we can well, my, my mom stopped herself to death. <laughs> so she took oh it my... to the extreme. Wow. Um, I, I'm I, was, so sorry. I was young, you know, it's fine. I was young at the time and didn't pick up so much on what she was doing, but yes, it can go all the way to the extreme for sure. Yeah. And that's again, not apparent when I think about, and I've talked about this on the show before, but my mom's connection to diet culture and there was like pride in it. Like, no, but I'm doing Weight Watchers or I'm doing cabbage soup diet or whatever. And so it was not like, it was culture at that time. It was like, this is a really good thing. So it wasn't her saying like anything bad to me. It was just me subconsciously noting and observing like what was happening and how like bodies and food and all that was talked about. So I can absolutely see- Back to your point, you said in the beginning, like, even if we have parents who are doing the best they can and really think they're doing a great job and are like parenting with the very best of intentions, there's things that we're picking up on that are going to come back and are going to be underlying and maybe not underlying, come to the surface as we're parenting ourselves. Yeah. And I'll tell you one of the most sickening things I've seen lately is a diet Coke commercial that sort of harks back to the eighties and about how our moms were doing it all. And we're so amazing. And we're drinking diet Coke and that, you know, you want to be like your mom, right? You want to be as amazing as your mom, diet Coke. (laughs) Gosh. So being as amazing, but of course the the subtext here is you want to be, your mom taught you how to diet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So let's remember those, all the lessons your mom told you. Yeah. Have a diet Coke. Oh my gosh. So when we, I could spend the whole time talking about yes, that. Moving I'm swiftly gonna, on. <laughs> I'm going to like hold myself back because I know there's other things we need to get into because that's like one of my favorite topics that, which sounds weird to say that's one of my favorite topics in such a light and bright way, but it's, there's just so much to meet there. So I want to talk about when we have had these moments where we're feeling triggered by our child, we've messed up and yelled at our kid. And then afterwards we're like, Oh, was that, and this is how I vacillate. And we all give you a personal example in a minute, but I vacillate between like, I just yelled at my kid and I'm like, oh, that was like really bad. And I made them feel bad. And and, like, I feel shame and they feel shame. And, but then another part of me is like, they need to learn some boundaries. They need to learn a lesson. Like, and so I go between these two, like, I don't know which is right. Like, should I always be like gentle and loving and like, let's talk about our feelings or should I be like, sometimes there's just rules. (laughs) And so can you (laughs) talk about those conflicting feelings that we have after we feel like we've messed up or we just feel conflicted after an interaction? Maybe we've yelled, maybe we've set a boundary. Maybe we know we've like totally, you know, dropped the ball. We feel that guilt and that shame. So we know that we don't want to be there. We want to go through an interaction and feel clear that like, that was the best choice for this moment, or I did it because of this. Like I can connect it to like why it was a good choice, a good parenting choice. Can you talk about the guilt, the shame, the conflicting feelings? Yeah. 
And I see this all the time in parents. So if anybody is listening to this and thinking, I thought I was the only one who had the guilt and the shame, because <laughs> that's what guilt and shame do, right? It, they isolate us. They make yeah. us feel as though we're the only one experiencing it, that everybody else yeah. has got this all figured out and we're the only one who has not figured it mm-hmm. out. And so I think firstly, a useful tool to bring to this is self-compassion and the idea that we're not alone in parenting a child who has needs that are different from ours. And we don't always know how to meet them <laughs> and right. we're doing the best we can and we're not perfect. And lo and behold, I'm not perfect either. <laughs> I teach this stuff and I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect. We're human by definition, we are imperfect. And so when we hold ourselves up to this standard and And I think that's exacerbated by our culture, which sort of sets up this equation of knowledge plus willpower equals change. Mm -hmm. And so if you have the knowledge and you haven't been able to make the change, then clearly the thing that's missing here is your willpower. And if you would just try hard enough, (laughs) if you would just apply yourself, then you would be able to make this change that you want to see. And you would be able to stop exploding your child and you wouldn't feel this guilt and shame anymore. And actually that's not how we learn. (laughs) We learn in communities. We learn through seeing other people process things and ask Mm. questions we didn't even know we had. We learn through understanding that we're not alone, that, that other people are experiencing the same thing that we are too. And it's not linear. We might learn something and then it percolates for a while. And then all of a sudden something shifts and we see it in a different way than we've ever seen it before. And suddenly we can implement something that we didn't, we weren't able to implement before. Yeah. So I think that from a practical perspective and then on how to actually not feel the guilt and shame, I think where that comes from is not knowing whether you've made the right decision. Yes, totally. Where that comes from is this sort of tension between what do I feel is right And what is society telling me I should be doing about this, right? Because in what the, just the little snippet that you're describing, it's like, should I meet my child's needs? Should I go to my child and empathize with my child and help them express their feelings? Or should I teach them this lesson that society wants them to learn Mm -hmm. that you cannot do this thing? (laughs) And so that feels like an enormous tension that we have to resolve. And the way to resolve it, there is a way, it's not often I can give magic bullets, but this actually, (laughs) there is a way is to focus on what are the needs of the people in this relationship. So if I have a need in a particular interaction for, let's say, I'm actually going to give an example from a time when I was preparing for a workshop on setting limits and I was in a hurry and I came out to the kitchen and my daughter asked me if she could have blueberries in the stewed apples that I was preparing. And I immediately said, no, (laughs) you can't because I was thinking blueberries in stewed apples with cinnamon. That sounds awful. And I don't want to eat that. And so it seems they're right there, right? We're already starting to have the beginnings of a conflict. Mm -hmm. And then she said, well, could you pull my apples out before you put the cinnamon in and just put the blueberries in? And I said, sure. (laughs) And so what we were able to do in that interaction, what she was able to do, because we've been practicing this for so long, even in a moment when I was a bit dysregulated because I was rushing to get this presentation done, she was able to understand we have different needs in this situation. Mm -hmm. I would like to experience certain flavor combination and you would like to experience a different flavor combination. And there is a way to meet both of our needs. And when we see problems from that perspective, what things that seem like problems between us, we can find ways to meet both people's needs. Mm. And when we're able to do that, we get out of the, well, you need to learn this lesson or whatever that is, which frankly goes back to the stuff we were just talking about diet culture and yeah. you know the art stuff. That's Those are the lessons society says you need to learn. Right. And into, well, what is my need in this situation? And what is your need in this situation? And if there is a way to meet both of our needs, let's do that. And then there's no stress from, was that too permissive? Did I, did I let that go too far? Or was I too strict? Mm-hmm. Should I have let that go further? There's just, I got my need met and you got your need met. Yeah. It's a great example. Can I give you the example that we're struggling with in our you household? Can. <laughs> Here we go. Go for it. Here we go. So people who follow me on Instagram, I just did a story about this recently. <laughs> so to all parents who have extroverted children, I am an extrovert. So I, in my mind, I'm like, I know how to handle some noise and some volume and some talking because I am noise and volume and talking. <laughs> my child takes it to a whole new level. He's extremely extroverted, which is really great in a lot of ways. And it's interesting 
he, well, he's extremely extroverted in our household and I'm learning he's more and more at school at first for a long time. I was like, Oh no, he's like really timid at school and the teachers in the last year. Or so they're like, not so much. <laughs> so he's found his voice at nine and a half in the third grade. And what is happening recently in our household is that he is constantly talking or making noise. And for the most part, it's like, great. I love being in conversation. I love that he'll talk to us all the time. There's a lot of benefits to that, but it is so constant and so overbearing at times and very loud. So it's just like normal tone is just extremely loud. And when we really notice it is in the car. So we have a cabin, we'll drive two hours to the cabin and back and he'll talk the whole time. And if he's not talking, he'll just make noise, just random noise. And it's like, if he had a sibling, it's like the noise he would, I would imagine him to make intentionally to annoy the sibling. And then they'd get in a big fight in the backseat. And like the other sibling would be like, he's making that noise again, mom, make mm-hmm. him stop. Like, but he doesn't have the sibling. So it's just my husband and I listening to the noise. Mm-hmm. And we both have these thresholds of like hearing the noise, hearing the talking and being like, yes, we see you, we hear you. And Oh, could like, that's a little loud right now. And we love to talk with you, but that noise that just feels like noise. And those that hurts our ears. Like we have these endless conversations and then one or the other of us, my husband and I get to our breaking point of like, now it's too much. You need to stop. (laughs) And then afterwards, I'm always like, did we just shut him down? Did we just tell him he's too much? Is he, is his memory of childhood going to be like, they always made space for me to be heard. Or is it going to be that they were constantly telling me to be quiet? Cause we mm-hmm. ultimately always reach this threshold where one or the other parent is like, we're done now be quiet. <laughs> so, and then we feel bad. So help yeah. me, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's understand what's happening here in this interaction in terms of how you're feeling when let's start early in the day when it hasn't maybe become overwhelming yet. Maybe it's starting to ramp up the volume, the amount of the talking what's going on for you. What are you feeling? It depends on the context. If I can like get in and out of it, it's fine. So if it's like, he's following me from room to room and we're just chatting, that's fine. It seems like kind of over the course of the day. And then we get into like a confined space, like a car (laughs) or the dinner table Mm -hmm. um, is another place where it will happen a lot. So it's like where it's building to this point and then there's like no escape. So we're like Mm -hmm. in this confined situation where like, we're all at the dinner table or we're in the car or there's not the opportunity to be like, I'm going to go to this other room for a minute or, Mm. you know, or it'll happen if the radio's on like in the kitchen and he'll come in and he's like competing with the radio, which is fine. I'll just turn it off. But my husband, sometimes he'll be like, no, I like, I really want to listen to fresh air with Terry gross. (laughs) And I'm like, we should just turn it off. Like we should prioritize our child's needs, not Terry gross. Like like he's allowed to listen to Terry Gross if he wants to listen to Terry Gross. Yeah, Terry Gross has needs too, you know. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So there's this sort of feeling of almost feeling trapped, right? That it's building towards that maybe. And is it frustration or overstimul I feel like overstimulation. It's just like it's real overstimulation. It's just it's like grating on my nervous system. Yeah. Okay. And how do you think he's feeling in those, in these interactions? Is it bringing him a sense of joy to interact with you in this way? Or is it just, uh, he seems uh, to think it's funny, which okay. again goes to the sibling thing where I'm like, Oh, if you had a sibling, he would think this was super funny to annoy them. And okay. So um, he thinks he, it's funny when you find it difficult. Uh, he thinks it's with? funny to just make like random, like to just randomly start like talking endlessly about butt cheeks and farts and like, but like at a really loud, incessant volume. And then mm-hmm. it just turns into noise and it's not like an actual conversation. Right. So okay. yeah, he's very entertained by himself. Got it. Um, when there's a reaction from us, he's not, enter- I mean, he doesn't think that that's funny, but it's the just going on yep. and on and on about it. He's very invested in laughing. Okay. At himself. Okay. So it is sort of the sense of joy and humor then just at hearing himself talk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I often think, oh, if I was a more fun mom, then I would like engage in this instead of being like, okay, enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm if, like, if, if I, I was different. not a fun mom. <laughs> <laughs> if I was a different person, if I could react differently, then things would be different between us and, yeah. and I would be better. Right. There's the yeah. yeah. <laughs> coming out. So, okay. So you're feeling overstimulated and I'm trying to now understand your need here. Your need is for quiet, essentially for a lower level of volume, or is it, do you yeah. think for periods of time where there's no volume and things are quiet and then you could cope with periods of time when things my are- need is for like normal conversation, like conversation that like, I'm fine with the conversation. It's 
like the relentless nonsense piece of it mm-hmm. that is not fun. Okay. Like I can do it for a little bit, but like not endlessly. And it seems to spiral. So I think my need is for like either like a conversation or quiet, but not this just like escalating nonsense that doesn't seem to like, even if I engage in the fun, it just mm-hmm. keeps going up. There's not like a point of now we had our fun and now we're going to bring it down naturally. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So I'm using the word need in a very specific way here and Mm. trying to guide us to something that is only relevant to you. When we're talking about my need is for conversation, that's actually something that he's participating in a conversation, right? So you can't necessarily require him to communicate with you in a certain way because he's his own person and he gets to make decisions about his own body. So I'm trying to keep it super specifically focused on you. So is your need for a generally lower volume then? Yeah. Okay. Is like lower stimulation. Is that any? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Lower stimulation. (laughs) Okay. Sort of a sense of calm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a a sense of ease. Like it it would feel more easeful to not have as much stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And maybe, I don't know if this is the right answer. Maybe even like a bit of a sense of control over it. Not that I want to control the conversation, but like the lack of control, the escalation is like creates stress for me because mm-hmm. I'm like, how far is it going to go this time and how long, and can I turn it around without yelling or without mm-hmm. getting overly frustrated? And yeah. 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 Okay. And I'm curious as to whether you've paid attention to this before and you may not have because our culture teaches us not to, but do you notice certain sensations in your body when things are starting to ramp up, maybe fairly early in the process before you're at the explosion point? Do you notice something that says, you know, tightness in your shoulders, lump in your yes. throat? Can't you, okay. So what do you notice? I notice a feeling in my gut. Mm. What is that and like? It's, so it becomes that like emotional conflict of like, okay, who am I going to be in this moment? Like, I see where this is going. Am I going to, like, I'm giving myself a pep talk to be the fun mom or to like really try to like, okay, like I'm going to engage to a certain point or I'm going to like, I'm not going to shut him down or I'm going to really try to be in it or I'm going to try to redirect it in a really positive way. Or so there's like this conflict of like, I can see that I'm trying to figure out how will I control it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that the actual specific feeling, is it like a tightness or a knottedness or what is that? Probably a little bit of an, just like tension in my gut. Okay. Okay. And tension in my body, like where I'm like, I know like my tone, I'm like forcing a certain tone, mm-hmm. like forcing, yeah. like being like nice and fun when inside I'm like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so our children know that tone, right? And they <laughs> learn from that. <laughs> And what we're actually teaching them when we sort of through gritted teeth, everything's fine. (laughs) I'm the fun mom, right? (laughs) They know that that's not how you're really feeling. And that can be kind of confusing for children because they hear your words. I'm the fun mom. (laughs) And they see your gritted teeth and your tone of voice and that that you are not feeling like the fun mom at the moment. And they see the, the tension between those two things. And it can cause them to stop trusting their own gut feelings about people and their own gut feelings Mm. about things because they think, well, you know, my mom has told me that telling the truth is important and she's telling me I'm not angry. (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) So I think it's really important to be honest with our children about how we're feeling. And so at nine years old, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities for conversations that you can have about the kinds of things that are going on for both of you at that age. And to parents who have younger children, you can start to have these kinds of conversations much younger than you might think it would even be possible, even starting at, you know, age four or five. And there are other ways of using these tools with children who are as young as pre-verbal. So what you might want to start off by doing is having a conversation with him at a time when you're not stressed, like not at a time when this has just happened and you're already completely dysregulated at a time, maybe when everybody's fed and everybody's slept well the night before and, and everybody's regulated. And then you could kind of come together, uh, especially if it was something happened like yesterday and you had an explosion yesterday, you could come to him and say, you know, we, we had a really hard time yesterday morning, didn't we? Would you mind if we talk about that? Would that be okay with you? And so you're looking for his permission that yes, this is his consent. This is okay. And I would like to talk about this because we can't force another person to talk about something and forcing them into this conversation never ends well. And then we can try and understand, you know, what was going on for you? What were you feeling in these moments? And maybe he's going to confirm your sense that he was, that he really just enjoys hearing the sound of his own voice. Or maybe there's something else going on. Like he hasn't seen 
seen friends in a couple of days and he was feeling really kind of pent up and he was mm -hmm. sort of having the conversation with himself that he would have had with a friend if, if a friend was available. Or maybe there's something else going on that we really don't have any idea about either you or I, because we're not him. <laughs> right. So we're trying to understand how was he feeling in, in those moments? And then just as we did with you, sort of digging underneath the strategies that we're using to what was the actual need he was trying to meet? Was it connection with another person? Even though his way of initiating that connection was really hard for you to receive. Mm -hmm. Is that what he was trying to do? Or was it something else? And then you can help him to understand that you could even tell him, you know, when I hear you start to say these things, or when I hear you use this certain tone of voice or whatever it is that starts that ramp up process for you, you could say, sometimes I feel this tension in my stomach because I want to be able to support you in a way that you want to be supported. And also I really struggle sometimes with loud noise because mm -hmm. I process it differently in my head than you do. And I just want to point out, I think that word and is critical. Earlier, I heard you say that sometimes you say to him, I love to talk with you, but mm. when we say, but it negates everything that came before. <laughs> oh, that's super helpful feedback. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I love to talk with you, but I can't handle means the, I love to talk with you part is like irrelevant. And mm. the part we need to focus on is the, I can't handle it. When we okay. use the word and it holds those two things with equal weight, right? Okay. I love to talk with you. And also sometimes I have a really hard time with the volume of the conversation, with how long it goes on, with how it escalates. And I'm wondering if there is a way that we can meet both of our needs here. Okay. And so then we can start to think about what are some ways that we can meet both of our needs. Maybe if you have an especially hard time with these conversations at a certain time of day, you could, you know, if it's in the morning, maybe we could have a quiet before 7am rule or something like that. If that is something that works for him. And the key about it being a rule is that everybody has to buy into it. <laughs> this mm -hmm. isn't me saying this is the rule and you're going to live by it. Would this work for you? Would it be okay with you to have that rule? If it is something that you, that he's really in greater need of companionship right now and connection with other people, what are some ways that we can meet that need so that, just maybe naturally he, the volume and the amount of talk that you're hearing in the house is lower and more manageable yeah. for you. Uh, so maybe we could set up an extra time for him to meet up with friends outside or a zoom call with grandparents or, or however it is that he meets that need for companionship. If that is the need and if it's yeah. a different need, <laughs> then right. that's not going to work. Right. That's the thing about needs is when you understand the need, you can propose solutions to meet that need that will actually resonate rather than just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall or saying, you just need to stop. Mm -hmm. And then of course, so the last thing on that is we're trying to meet both people's needs. If we can't do that, if we just can't find a way to meet both people's needs, then we can start using tools like boundaries. And that is not a limit, which is something you're saying to him, you need to change your behavior. You need to do this differently, but this is how I'm going to respond when a certain kind of situation comes up. So maybe I might set a limit that perhaps when I feel this feeling in my stomach, I'm going to hold my hand up and say, I need a pause, please. And then maybe he would agree to pause in the room because he's you know old enough to have self-regulation to actually be able to do it. Or that might mean you remove yourself from the room for a few minutes, knowing that you're going to come back in five minutes or something. You're going to tell him a, a period of time that you're going to come back. Maybe you might even put earplugs in, <laughs> right? The silicone ones reduce volume yep. by about 22 decibels, which is enough that you can still hear everything that's going on, right. but it just takes the edge off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and those are super cheap or you can get more expensive electronic ones these days that I, I'm told are amazing. So you're starting to put boundaries around the ways that you are willing to engage with him mm -hmm. so that you can show up authentically in that relationship. And the way that you're going to know that it's time to use these kinds of tools is when you feel that tension in your gut. Yeah. Right. And that you're already going to have a plan. When I feel that tension, I'm going to X, either something that we've agreed that is going to help us meet both of our needs, or if we're not able to figure that out, I'm going to put earplugs in. I'm going to leave the room for two minutes to make sure I'm regulated before I come back to this conversation. Yeah. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers. 
on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. How does that sound? Oh, that's super helpful. It's super helpful to have, to be given some language, to have a little bit of a script and even the language, because there are times where I'll say, I'm starting to feel frustrated. I feel like I've asked you this and I don't feel like, you know, whatever, but that language around like, what do we both need right now? And then I'm going to need to take a break and like, that's super helpful. That feels reasonable. And then having a conversation outside of a heated moment after the fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the awesome thing about these situations that bug us over and over again is we don't have to solve them in the moment, right? (laughs) Right. Because we know they're going to come up again. You can have a conversation about something that happened yesterday and try to come up with ways that meet both of your needs to address that challenge that you're having. And then you can try to implement it the next time it happens. And maybe it works for you. And if so, great. Everybody feels as though they got their need met. Or maybe you still feel that pit in your stomach and it still keeps ramping up. And then you can know, oh yeah, my need actually wasn't met by this thing that we thought it would be. And when the child resists the solution that you develop together, then the parent often says, well, that doesn't work. You know, this whole understanding needs thing, it doesn't work. But when it happens to us, (laughs) we can see, oh yeah, that didn't meet my need. We need a different solution. (laughs) And so we can then come back and say, hey, we thought this would help. And it didn't seem as though it helped you or me, whoever it was that was still struggling. I wonder, it seemed as though actually your need was a bit different than we thought it was. Is there something that we can think of that might help Mm -hmm. us to address that? So, so that's such like neutral language too. Yeah. Like to keep it really like, it seems like there was a need that wasn't met and like all that language just seems really neutral instead of like when things are heated, things don't stay neutral, but to have really neutral language to just keep in tone. Yeah. I think is really, yeah. And non-judgmental too. Yeah. It's so important. I mean, if you, I always like to think about how would I feel if another grown up said that to me, or like my partner said it to me, or how would my partner feel if I said it to them? You know, if my partner said to me, why didn't you ever unload the dishwasher? You're so irresponsible. (laughs) Would I be invested in finding solutions to get the dishwasher unloaded? No, I would not. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But when we say those things to our children without even thinking about it. So if we can use this non-judgmental language that just says, we're having a challenge here. There's a problem that we're both having together rather than this problem is yours and you need to change the way that you're showing up in this situation. It's definitely possible that the thing that needs to change is us or that we need to both do something differently. And then we can meet both of our needs. And then that gets us out of the, was I too permissive? Was I too strict? I have no idea. (laughs) Guilt and shame spiral because we just know my need got met. My child's need got met. That's it right? And to link it back again to what we talked about in the very beginning of the episode, when we can raise children who understand that they have needs and will advocate for those needs and who can see another person's need and hold that with equal weight as their own need, then 
we are going to raise children who are going to be able to address the challenges that we're having in life in you know broader society, patriarchy, white supremacy, those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's the connection. Oh my gosh, which is so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say it quickly, but this is like a whole nother conversation we could spend a lot of time on raising a white male. And like, if I'm raising a white male and then I'm saying like, you're too much, you need to be quiet. What is Mm -hmm. he going to say to people in the workplace as a white male? And like, oh, that's not where I want things to go. (laughs) Yeah. And also it's not okay to express how you really feel in, in our culture. Males are socialized that it's actually okay to express anger, but anything else is not okay. Right. And so if he's expressing joy and humor at whatever it is he's chatting about, you know, that's not okay. It's only okay to express anger. And then, yeah, they go through life, not expressing any other feeling to anybody else and holding everything in until they explode. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's uh, super unfortunate. uh, Oh my gosh. Big, big ahas here. (laughs) So if we've done something that we're not proud of with our child from what we're talking, we've talked about, like, we know we don't blow over it so far. You've said like revisit it after the fact, have a conversation about it, keeping that neutral tone. If we're embarrassed as parents, we kind of want to pretend because and, and this I'm thinking about like whether it's an interaction with my child or my partner or a friend or whatever we're like maybe if I just don't bring it up they'll forget or like <laughs> they'll just not see it the way I saw they'll just like maybe they don't know how bad it was yeah <laughs> and so we're like let's just let it disappear but obviously that's not the right way to do this so can you share with us how we can revisit those moments even when we are feeling embarrassed or wanting to like climb away and pretend they didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough with adult friends, right? When these kinds of things happen oh, totally. between adult friends, but then you, you layer in the fact this is happening with my child and mm-hmm. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing as a parent. And I'm supposed to project this aura all the time of mm-hmm. I've got it under control and, <laughs> and you're not supposed to question me and I'm not supposed to show any vulnerability. And actually when we do show vulnerability to our children, it just opens up a whole different level of conversation. So we've talked with our daughter about this. I mean, since she was probably three, the fact that we are raising her in a very different way than the way we were raised. And sometimes, you know, one of us will say something we're not proud of. We'll have a reaction that is not something that we're proud of. And then afterwards, we'll come back to her and say, you know, this is really hard for us because if I had ever spoken to my parent in the way you just spoke to me, I would have been punished. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for me sometimes to know in the moment what to do. And I'm sorry that I did something that was that really was hurtful to you and that you made you cry. And I think that is enormously valuable for our child, firstly, because we're working to repair the relationship between mm-hmm. our child you know, right now. Yeah. Secondly, because it teaches our child, I don't have to be perfect. My yeah. parent that I love so much isn't perfect. And when they are not perfect, they apologize. <laughs> yeah. They repair that relationship. And so, you know, the, the child then learns, I don't have to be perfect. And also when I am not perfect, then I can come back and repair that relationship with another person. So I think it's something that we did not learn. We did not learn to come back and revisit these things and apologize and and help the child to process what happened, maybe even through sort of walking them through the story of what happened. You know, I was doing this and you came over and interrupted and then I shouted and then you cried and just kind of walking them through step-by-step what happened and allowing them to tell that story. That really takes it from being something that could potentially show up in a therapy session 20 years to something that they're able to integrate and say, oh yeah, this happened. And I understand why it happened. And it's not because I'm a bad person because children always assume when the parent yells at them, it's because they're a bad person and it was their fault and we've repaired our relationship and now we're moving on. So it's valuable on so many levels. I'm having this moment. (laughs) I'm connecting another aha, connecting some dots here around I'm thinking about first, I was like, oh, I'm a really conflict avoidant person. I was raised in a conflict avoidant household and I don't want to raise a conflict avoidant child, but if you like, that's like overcoming my own like stuff to not be conflict avoidant. And then I was thinking even more broadly that women in general are conditioned to be conflict avoidant. So moms as primary caregivers are probably raising a lot of conflict avoidant children. So this value in repairing relationships and practicing that is huge because Otherwise we're raising just more and more generations of conflict avoidant people. And if we connect it back to the patriarchy and white supremacy and everything like that's gotten us nowhere. 
Like that's yes. messed up a lot of things. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I just recorded an episode on boundaries. There's a really cool book called Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Tawab. And she talks through nine reasons why we struggle to set boundaries. And pretty much all of them are related to patriarchy <laughs> and the ways that women particularly are socialized to keep the peace, to not appear mean, to not appear rude, to make sure that everybody else's needs are taken care of, to really just show up in a way that prioritizes everybody else over ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we struggle to set boundaries ourselves. And mm -hmm. then you're absolutely right, particularly if we're raising girls, that we then are teaching our girls through the ways that we are being in the world, that it's not okay to have boundaries, <laughs> that setting a boundary is going to get you punished by me as a parent, because I can't handle it when you set a boundary or by society. Mm -hmm. And so you're absolutely right. This then perpetuates into future generations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This has been so helpful. So many things. <laughs> okay. Jen, this has been amazing. I feel like I had a ton of ahas and I hope people learned I'm assuming people, listeners had a lot of ahas and I hope that people also were able to have some ahas through hearing my own experience. I love to be the example. So thank you for giving me that opportunity to You're be welcome. the example. Can you tell people, our listeners, how you work with families, parents, moms, and what you have going on right now? Cause you have some cool things happening and ways that you could support people and maybe other people who want to get coaching. Like I just got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I run a program called Taming Your Triggers and it's open twice a year and it will be open for enrollment again between February 13th and 23rd. And it's basically for parents who see, I want to raise my children. I want to interact with my, with my children in a certain way. And the ways that I'm actually able to show up in the difficult moments are not in line with those values. And I don't know what to do. Either I don't have the knowledge to do things differently, or I have the knowledge. I've read all the blog posts. I've listened to the podcasts. I know what I'm supposed to do and I still can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> How do I make that transition? And I think I alluded to this earlier that this tends to be a non-cognitive shift. So it's not something we necessarily learn in our brains that makes the switch. It's processing these things in community with others it's seeing an example of a, a parent who went through the course and saw on her first day, hundreds of parents introducing themselves, describing the triggered feelings that they have and their intentions for the workshop. And for the first time, she saw her own alcoholic mom as a 20 something mom with a whole bunch of unresolved trauma and was able to not just say, you know, mom, I forgive you, which she'd been trying to say for so many years, but she described it as I needed to be forgiveness. And she said, I'd never felt that before in my whole life. And I feel it now. And so she had this beautiful exchange with her mom where she truly from her heart forgave her mom for all of the struggles that they had had while she was growing up. And that relationship is no longer showing up in the triggered feelings that she has you know, towards her son anymore because that burden has been lifted from yeah. her. So if parents are either not having the knowledge yet or they have the knowledge and haven't figured out actually how to apply it, the workshop's 10 weeks long. We walk you through where does this come from? Where do these triggered feelings come from? And how can you show up differently in your relationships with your child in a way that is really aligned with your values? We have a super amazing supportive community of parents and you can get signed up to be matched with what we call an accounter buddy to give you the support that you need one-on-one -on -one so that when you come to an assignment, like uh, <laughs> doing something related to your relationship with your mother is a, mm -hmm. <laughs> a huge trigger for many parents and they get to that module and they're like, eh, I'm just going to put that off for a few days. <laughs> they put it off for a week and then they fall behind and they're like, oh, I can't ask a question about that because we're not covering that anymore. And I'm just going to let this go because it right. helps anyway, right? It's the embarrassment, <laughs> pretend it wasn't there. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Our brain's coping mechanisms for making us think, oh, that's too scary. I'm not going to touch that. But it's really because I don't have time. And our accountant buddy can come in and say, hey, <laughs> how's it going? Mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time with this. Are you having a hard time with it too? And, and just this beautiful, nurturing, supporting environment so that you can actually take this knowledge and make these non-cognitive shifts that allows you to show up uh, in your relationships with your child in a way that's really aligned with your values. I love it. Okay. So you have this episode, this in our conversation is airing just a few days before you have a workshop and then yep. the program will open up after that, if I am recalling correctly. So, yep. and I'm going to also tell everyone I'm going to do the 10 week series. <laughs> I'm going to tame my triggers. So if anyone wants to join me, please do. I'm like very humbly walking into this, but I'm also really excited. And 
I just think it'll be really valuable. Also, like I love to be coached. Like it's like nice to be the one, like someone just told me what to do. <laughs> Always coaching. So I'm super excited about the program. I'm definitely going to do taming your triggers. I know you also have, um, for people listening in live time, you have a workshop prior to yeah. the 10 weeks. So can you talk about the date the workshop starts and where people can get signed up for that. Yeah, there's a free workshop. It's we we call it a masterclass. It is on February 12th from 10 a.m. to 11:30, and we'll give you a link to put on your episode page for where you can access that. And so that's going to walk you through more information on what are some of these the causes of triggers. There are five main categories of triggers that we typically see uh, parents are navigating, and to really help them see this is not you. This is not the you're an angry parent. (laughs) Uh, This is not, a lot of parents think, well, this is just how parenting is. My child does something that drives me up the wall and I shout at them that there is no other way of of being in this relationship when actually there are reasons why you're shouting at them and we can help you to understand what those are. And then we can start giving you some of the the high level tools to show up differently. And I will will coach somebody live in the masterclass (laughs) much as we did here. So if you want to potentially be coached live, then I would definitely show up for that. We'll also have Q&A and a moderator who can help you to to get questions answered and we'll have lots of time for Q&A in there as well. So the masterclass is sort of a free way to see, you know, does this resonate for me? Is Mm -hmm. this something that I think I want to dig into more deeply over the 10-week workshop and just to get a sense for how the whole thing works? And then, yeah, for for the full 10 weeks, we provide so much support and so much care as you are understanding this stuff, which can be really difficult. It's not easy stuff for parents to learn where this came from and to admit that things are not the way they want them to be. There's a ton of guilt and shame attached to that. And then, okay, so let's give you some new tools so that you can really stop feeling that guilt and shame because you're just, you're in a different way of interacting with your child. I love it. Such good stuff. I'm like excited, but that's the equal parts nervous and excited. Like I'm really excited about this, but I know I'm going to have to like be a little vulnerable and and humble, (laughs) Um, but I think it'll be really valuable. So for people listening prior to March, not March, prior to February 12th. So workshop is on February 12th. We'll link to that in the show notes. And then enrollment is open to enroll in taming your triggers. Enrollment's open. Remind me that exact window. February 13th to the 23rd. And I will link to enrollment as well here so that people can, depending on when you're listening in this, you know, a couple of weeks after this episode goes live, people can see whichever option works for them. If they're interested in digging in deeper with Jen and walking through this process with me so that we can become more confident parents together. Yeah. And, and, it's, <laughs> um, and it's not just parents as well, right? These feelings often show up in our relationships with our children because of the traumas we've experienced in our childhood, yeah, but they also yeah. show up in our relationships with our parents. And our in-laws, totally. and our friends and our partners. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, so. I was thinking about that as we were talking. I was like, oh, like I'm giving an example from like my child, but I'm also thinking of like a conversation that I had with a friend just the other day where I was like, oh my gosh, this is uncomfortable. And I'm like having to like really practice some new skills. And so, yeah, all of the above. It's a, exactly um, the same okay. thing. So what's coming up for me? Where is that sitting in my body? And how yeah. can I pay attention to that and say, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable in this conversation right now. Can I, can I, would it be okay for me to sit with that for a minute? Okay. Yeah. So something you said really touched a nerve with me, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. All of these things, all of these tools can be applied to all of these other relationships. And the more difficult we find that relationship right now, the more potential there is for real transformation in that relationship as well. Mm. Oh, I love that's like, so hopeful, the more difficult, the more hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Oh my gosh, Jen, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so, so much. Our final question is in what way are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? By talking about patriarchy, white supremacy, and capitalism on a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amen. As a parent, for those of you who, <laughs> who yes. haven't seen my picture yet. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for going there with all this. I really appreciate that because I know that that's really important to me and to this community. So I really appreciate you making, being conscientious of bringing that into the conversation. Yeah. You're welcome. It's important to me too. Okay. So I'm going to link to everything that we talked about in the show notes. So you can sign up for the masterclass. You can check out enrollment for taming your triggers. If you go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Jen Lumenlon. Jen, thank you. Thank you for being here. I am excited to dig in further with this and get to work. And I'm just so grateful for your work. And you definitely have to come back when you write the book. <laughs> Will do. Thanks so much. I'm now me. your book account, a buddy. <laughs> I need that. I've got to finish. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jen. Thanks, Sarah.
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.